The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And today, I'm honored to welcome my guest, Mr. Joe Maxwell. He was my guest in 2014, and he is truly informed on both agriculture and law. And in fact, in preparing for this interview, I went online and I found a great quote, which will lead us through our interview. Laws are like sausages. It's better not to see them being made. Mr. Maxwell has done both. He is a fourth-generation family farmer. He raises hogs in a town called Rush Hill, Missouri. He also has had a legislative career, serving as Missouri State Representative, then Senator, and in 2000, he became our Missouri State Lieutenant Governor. During his time as an elected official, Mr. Maxwell passed a number of bills to support value-added agriculture projects and programs for family farmers. He also worked against large-scale industrialized farms, which he sees as harmful to the rural economy, the environment, and animals. Today, Mr. Maxwell is the Senior Political Director for the Humane Society Legislative Fund, and he is the spokesperson for the Organization for Competitive Markets. Welcome back, Mr. Maxwell. It's great to be on the program again. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. Well, we had a chance to cross paths, and, of course, we wanted to catch up. And there were a couple of topics that I was really interested in that I needed someone who was informed on legislative policy to speak to. And you had some issues that you wanted to address. But I think the first thing we ought to do is talk a little about the challenges that you see facing family farmers today. Well, I think what is just paramount is just the ability to have a market, mm-hmm. uh, the ability to be able to compete in a global marketplace that is controlled by just a very few, four or less corporations, multinational corporations. So where's the space for America's family farmer and rancher? Where is the market opportunity so that their uh, family farm or ranch can continue to be competitive and to be profitable? That is the biggest issue, I believe, that is facing America's family farmers and ranchers and ultimately consumers. Absolutely. Consumers trust America's family farmers and ranchers. And they overall, consumer preference clearly is away from industrial factory farming. And that's who's squeezing that farmer out of the space in the market. Exactly. And I love that we're having this conversation because I've got my finger on the consumer's pulse as well as the public health lens. And so when I speak to consumers and I tell them it's wonderful if you can know your farmer, if you can know how the meat you're consuming and feeding your family is being raised. But, you know, I have to tell you, I have a really hard time knowing who raised my meat and where it was produced, how it was produced when I go into a typical supermarket in anywhere USA. So tell me how that came to pass. Why can't we go to the grocery store and look for meat, or the butcher is is really non-existent anymore in many markets, but to go and talk to the representative of that meat case and say, 
Jay, I'd like to find some steaks that were raised. I know we raise beef, say, in, in Missouri. We, we raise beef in many of the states in the Union. I want to be able to go to the supermarket and buy beef and pork and chicken that was raised as locally as possible because we're dealing with climate change. We want a local strengthened food system. Well, first, it, it was really a shame about a year ago that our Congress, our U.S. members of Congress, both in the House and the Senate, chose to repeal the major portions of country of origin labeling. And what was most surprising to many of us that produce cattle or hogs, that both our the National Cattle Beef Association, NCBA, and the National Pork Producers Council both worked the halls of the Congress to have that country of origin labeling repealed. You know, I can look at my jacket I have on and know where it was manufactured. <laughs> I can look at the hat on my head and know. But I can't look at the pork chop or the beef steak or the hamburger and know where it was produced, processed, or raised. Yeah. How did that happen and why? Well, what we have seen is this concentration of these multinational global processors. Most of them, uh, the largest pork producer in the U.S. is now owned by a Chinese company. Mm -hmm. The largest beef producer is Brazil. And they have a huge amount of influence into the National Cattle Beef Association, which represents more the packers Mm -hmm. than it does the producers. They represent less than 4% of the cattlemen in the United States. But they have a very strong voice using our checkoff dollars in the Capitol Halls. And so they came in, And they influence that because they want to bring in Brazilian beef. They want to be able to bring in uh, foreign pork. They want to be able to dump it in a great big vat. And they don't want consumers to know because they know that America's consumers, if they're given a choice in the retail grocery store, and it says raised in the United States, and they can identify that more locally as U.S. farmers and ranchers, that's the product they're going to buy. As a matter of fact, they'll even pay a few pennies more for that product. And so these foreign corporations control these big organizations and they lobbied our Congress in the names of farmers, even though they don't really represent us, and they got that changed. Hmm. It's so interesting because when I think of the marketing materials that come out of the pork producers and the Cattlemen's Association, at least that material that is directed to dietitians, it's all so farmer, small family farm friendly so that we as educators of consumers would think that these commodity groups, these big organizations, the packers included, and I want you to describe what exactly a a packer is and what they do, but the messages that we see, even the pretty pictures on the packages, lead us to think that this product is coming from a family farm, but in actuality, it's coming from other countries, and I agree with you. If we knew, we would reject that. Yeah, I think that One of the things I find it interesting, I just had a conversation with the Organization for Competitive Markets Director of Communications and Research, just wanted me to do a better job of explaining to the public what packers and processors are and how this works. So I find it interesting that you would ask for me at some point to explain that. I think one of the critical components to understand is is that every one of us family farmers in America, we want to raise safe, healthy food for our neighbors We want to make sure that we're able to produce uh, high-quality food. We want to treat our animals as good stewards should treat their animal, and we want to treat the environment the same way. We want to have 
conservation type measures that ensures that if grandpa wants to take the grandkids fishing in the stream that they can do that. Mm-hmm. Those are our values. And that, and unfortunately we're mandated to pay in what's called checkoff dollars. So every time I sell a pig or a calf or every time corn sold or whatever, then we pay into the government mandates that we be taxed and pay into this fund. Unfortunately, the large processors, the large multinational corporations that control the food systems have hijacked these dollars. And so there gives this appearance that they represent us because they have our money. Mm. And from that, they're able to buy undue influence and build their brands so that folks like yourself and others, when they see these ads, it looks like the face of the family farmer. Mm-hmm. So they've stolen our name, they've stolen our faces to sell the public some of the worst stuff in the world. And it's harming our environment. They cage and crate the animals. There's no respect for the neighbors, no respect for animals, no respect for the streams. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's very unfortunate that that has happened. We do have legislation at the federal level. Both Senator Lee out of Utah and Senator Booker out of New Jersey have filed legislation to to strip these fake organizations from my dollars, mine being America's Family Farmers and Ranchers dollars, and ensure that it goes to promote family-farmed products and that consumers can identify those products in the marketplace. That would be extremely helpful. Tell me, as a farmer, can you opt out of paying into that checkoff pool? The Supreme Court has ruled that it's a mandatory payment. There is a case that... RCAF USA is filed in Montana, and at least at the magistrate level, we're beginning to make headway at least on a portion of that money that a farmer can opt not to send it to the nationals. But right now, on every one of them, I'm mandated that I have to pay and cannot opt out. There is legislation, Senate Bill 3200. Senator Lee and Senator Booker have pledged to refile those bills in the new Congress. Today, that Senate Bill 3200 would allow me to have the option to pay or not pay. Mm-hmm. Senate Bill 3201 provides needed reform to the checkoff programs, the primary one being that if you lobby, if you're an organization that lobbies the Congress or state legislature, you cannot receive any of those funds. It's fine for a group. You know, We all have our right to, to put our money in a, in a pot and have an organization that represents us at our capitals. Mm-hmm. But it should not be tax money. When I'm taxed as a farmer to pay in the checkoff, my tax money should not go to an organization that's going to lobby against country of origin labeling, that's going to lobby against these fair practice rules for farmers that uh, the USDA just, uh, the GIPSA rules that just came out. It's not right to have tax money be used against the people and small businessmen and women and family farmers and ranchers of America. And that's what the reform package would do. It would strip the opportunity for lobbying organizations to get any of those tax dollars called checkoff funds. If people wanted to learn more about this, and we would hope that listeners would be advocates, because I think that it's so important for farmers and consumers to form partnerships. We all know what we want, and I think you spelled that out extremely well. We want clean water, we want safe, high-quality food, and we want to support those people who are doing it well and protecting the land. But we need to be 
informed at a place where we know we can trust the information. And I, I thought it was interesting that the word of the year for 2016 was post-truth. Yeah. It is so difficult to navigate what is the truth about our food system because of the propaganda machines that are turning all the time, making us think that these big national corporate agribusiness folks are on the side of the family farmer, and they do it really well. They do. I think the best thing that any of your listeners, any consumer needs to do is they need to do their research. Don't just take Joe Maxwell's word for it, even though I wish they would, Uh, but do your research. Find those organizations that have the values that represent your values and listen to what they are saying. Don't be duped by the commercials. The ads in the newspapers or the trade magazines, don't be duped by whatever the latest thing is on Facebook. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend that you go to competitivemarkets.com. Take a look at the group that I work with. It is a representative group of family farmers. We have academics on our team as we put together the research and the facts to help bring about a change in the marketplace so family farmers and ranchers can compete and can market their products, raise healthy, safe foods for their neighbors. And join us. You, you can obviously become a member. We'd love to have that. But just give us your email address or follow us on Facebook, and we'll be able to provide you the research documentation as we move forward on these critical issues facing our food system in this country. Fantastic. Listeners, if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, where we are joined by Mr. Joe Maxwell, fourth-generation family farmer, legislator, and senior political director for the Humane Society Legislative Fund and spokesperson for the Organization for Competitive Markets. Tell me something, Mr. Maxwell. Who belongs to the Organization for Competitive Markets? Tell me more about this organization. Well, the organization is about 20, almost 20 years old now. It was formed when a group of farmers and academics looked at the marketplace and said this this multinational corporations are beginning to put a squeeze on family farmers. They're blocking those family farmers from getting their products to consumers in the United States. And they said, there's a lot of groups looking at this issue, but we want to create something that helps promote family farmers within this debate of competition and the food system. Mm -hmm. So they formed the Organization for Competitive Markets. Who can be a member? Anyone can be a member. There's various levels of membership. We also have a national collaboration where we host meetings and we help educate other organizations because family farmers by themselves cannot change the food system. We need consumer groups. We need all the various groups coming, animal welfare, uh, conservation groups, coming together to speak from one voice on the opportunity to have a local, sustainable healthy, safe food system that meets the needs of consumers. So they can also, if they're an organization, belong to the national collaboration of the Organization for Competitive Markets. Okay. Uh, the best thing to do is make sure you sign up, give us your email address, we'll give you further information. There's also take action. You know, if, if you want to make sure that farmers' money is not being used to promote this industrial factory farming and the NCBA and the NPPC, then there's a link there to t- join us and take action on the checkoff reform. 
There's an action item to help family farmers have a fair market opportunity through the new rules that USDA just promoted. Mm-hmm. And then there's our general call to action. So on the web page, you can find that. But if you give us the, uh, the time to give your email address, we can stay in touch with you. Look at the board. Look at who else is on there. These are high-quality people. One of our, uh, Judy Heffernan, Bill Heffernan, here in the state of Missouri, have done a tremendous job on this concentration issue. We work with Dr. Robert Taylor out of Auburn, Don Stull. Many of those you'll see on there have done great research, are authors. Uh, and then we have great farmers like Mike Calicrate, uh, Mike Weaver, uh, Fred Stokes. But you'll see a lot of names of national leaders that are board members or key members of Organization for Competitive Markets. Well, and it would be nice, too, to have a, a method of not only taking action, but also a place for consumers to voice their concerns. For example, I'm hoping that we can get country of origin labeling back. I know that if I don't make a phone call, it won't happen. And I'm a firm believer in picking up the phone. You know, you can do it in your pajamas. And calling your senator or representative As a former representative and senator, would you let our listeners know what is the best way to reach their representatives? Is it those mass emails? Is it the phone call? Certainly stopping into the office if you're at the Capitol, either your state or national. Tell me what works best. Well, first, I think it's important for everybody to know it does matter. Too often I hear, even when I was elected, Oh, well, you know, it doesn't matter what I think. It does matter. There's not a Democrat, Republican, Independent, Green Party, name a party that doesn't listen to the people. And too often, those people that have power and control in the Capitol convince the people that their voice doesn't matter. First and foremost, it matters. Mm -hmm. What's the best way? There's nothing better than just picking up the phone and contacting Uh, the district office of your congressman or U.S. senator, and then placing a call into the capital office as well. Okay. It's important not to forget your state level. I think even on national issues such as country of origin labeling, we began that movement back in the 90s at the state level. I passed a state bill that required state country of origin labeling. So I think on these issues of food, It's also important to call your state representative, your state senator, and let them know what your opinion is. Mass emails work, but it works the best if you're part of organizations that have like a call to action day or week. So you help push 6,000 names into a senator's office. So they're more powerful uh, when it's a unified effort, belonging to an organization, being part of a movement. Individual voices work well for individual letters, individual phone calls, and then the group stuff works well by becoming part of a larger movement, sweeping that message into those offices. Excellent. Okay, I have to go back to a question that I asked earlier, and that had to do with tell me what a meat packer is, because I want you to help me understand what happens in between. I see the animal grazing in the pasture, Unfortunately, I see too many animals in these horrific feedlots in eastern Colorado, western Kansas. How or what happens between the farmer that's raising that animal and the meat on my plate? And I think that's where the packers come in. 
And maybe you can talk about that in light of the USDA's new proposed competition rules and GIPSA. Yes. Well, currently, a packer, the best way to think about it is the old slaughterhouse. And the term packer has been used now for probably 160, 70 years to reference the person that purchased the animal, the live animal, kills the animal, butchers the animal, and sells the meat from and the products from the animal. And processors buy those raw products and further process that into various things. They might cure it. Now, the line today is beginning to, uh, to kind of blend together because many of the packers are also processors. Smithfield is a full uh, pork processor. You, you can buy Smithfield uh, bacon, you know, further processed items. Mm-hmm. So the line is a little blurred right now. However, when we say meat packer, we're talking about the slaughterhouse. Okay. The people that kill the animal and, and then put the product out to a retailer or someone to purchase it. What's happening right now is that there's just too few of those packers, and they're closed plants. In other words, I'm an independent farmer. I'll use my hogs as an example. Okay. There's not in Missouri. I have to go six to seven hours away to find an independent slaughterhouse or packer that will accept my pigs because I'm not in part of an integrated system. Whoa. And if I don't belong to Smithfield or Brazil's Cargill now, Cargill Pork Division was just bought out by a Brazilian company. If I don't go and work with them, then I'm running out of places I can sell my animals to. And, of course, if I can't sell my animals, then I can't farm. I go broke. So they're slowly taking control and putting a stranglehold on those packing houses, those slaughterhouses that prevent us from having a place to market our cattle or our hogs. In the chicken industry, there's just hardly any independent chicken producers left in America. Most all chicken is now raised by what we call poultry contract growers. And they actually are raising chickens that belong to Mr. Tyson or Pilgrim's Pride or and one of one of those other companies. So they can't even find a market. Then they're on the string for whatever that company, that chicken processor, will pay them to raise those folks' chickens. So the issue that's on the gypsum rules, because there are so few packers, they control so much of the marketplace, then the fundamentals of our market system no longer work. Mm. And so farmers can't access a free and open market and the processors control the marketplace on the chicken growers, and so they squeeze down the price and squeeze down the price until the farmer just can't survive. We've lost 90%, over 90% of our hog farmers since I began farming. We've lost over 40% of our uh, cattle ranchers and producers in America, and 70, over 70% of the chicken growers in the United States live in poverty. These rules work as safeguards to the marketplace to allow for the free market to actually work with transparency, lack of retaliation, lack of predatory practices in the marketplace. So it cleans up our capitalist market system so that it balances out the ability to do business between the producer and the packer and the processor. Do you want to talk about the new Farmer Fair Practices rules that were released by USDA's GIPSA. And we should let people know that GIPSA stands for Grain Inspections, Packers, and Stockyards Administration. 
That's correct. Okay. And, and uh, the PSA, the Packer Stockyard Act, was passed in 1921. So in answer to the problems that the book The Jungle talked about, right. Sinclair's book, there were three antitrust laws passed. Sherman Act was passed prior to that, uh, the Clayton Act, and then the Packers and Stockyard Act. Packers and Stockyard Act, that affects family farmers and ranchers. It was their antitrust, their opportunity for competition in the marketplace, safeguards were placed in that bill. Over time, the courts have eroded those safeguards in the marketplace so that small family farmers and ranchers can compete. And we've seen this globalization of our food system come in with a few packers controlling up to 80% of that market and just squeezing the price down and hanging the uh, family farmers and ranchers out. Mm-hmm. So the GYPSA administration, the Obama administration, began back in 2010 to put these rules out. And it has been a fight in Congress every year. Finally, there was a break, and at the last hour, they have put these rules out. Uh, we believe that the Trump administration, or, or President-elect Trump when he was campaigning, were very supportive of the opportunity to stop these multinational corporations from squeezing out family farmers and ranchers. So we are encouraged that these safeguards uh, through these rules will be implemented and that the Congress will not repeal them. There are three of them. First, it states that a farmer can demonstrate that they have been discriminated in the marketplace or have had predatory practices. In other words, they decided to speak up and say the system's rigged, and then the packer comes in and cuts their prices. Mm. So it's predatory, so you don't say anything bad about the man, don't say anything bad about the system, or we're just going to cut your contract. So it says that a farmer can just show that he or she was harmed by that action. The second one, there's something called the tournament system when it comes to poultry contract growers. What it does, it pits every contract poultry grower in a region against each other. So the company plays them off of each other to keep the company, the processor, from having to pay the full value for the work done by those farmers. Hmm. And it's called the tournament system. Uh, Chris Leonard, the book, oh, yes. Racket, explains it the best of anyone ever has. If you haven't read the book, get the book. You'll understand why that rule is so important. Okay. And finally, the third rule helps define what predatory, discriminatory practices are in the marketplace, provides true safeguards so that our market can work. Farmers aren't asking for a handout here. They're just asking that our economic system work fairly for the processors and for the farmers so ultimately the consumer can benefit with healthier, safer, more environmentally sound more sustainable foods. Excellent. And our time together has come to an end, but I want to make sure that we provide our listeners with a place to learn more. We will provide a link to the Organization for Competitive Markets. Is there any place else, Mr. Maxwell, or any last charge you want to give our listeners? Well, first, you brought it up earlier. I think if these issues are important to you, as we go into a new Congress, uh, new houses at the legislative level, Let your elected officials know how important issues of food are to you. Let them know that you support local foods, healthy foods, and safe foods, and that you're going to be watching their votes in the new Congress or in the new legislative year. Excellent.
All right. In closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to thank my guest, Mr. Joe Maxwell, and remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you again, Mr. Maxwell, for joining us. Wonderful fourth-generation farmer, former legislator, and currently senior political director for the Humane Society Legislative Fund and spokesperson for the Organization for Competitive Markets. Thank you for spending time with me. Thank you so much.